You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. The question that I have for you as the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is this. What do you do when people leave? What do you do when people leave? Have you ever had somebody leave you? This is a question that if I ask people, nobody has ever answered. No. Because we've all, we've all had people leave us. Maybe it's a business deal that falls through. Maybe it's a relationship that, that ends. Maybe you know it's someone you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with, in community with that person, and that person is no longer there. A hard fact of life is that people will leave. And when people leave, it hurts. When people leave, things get complicated because it can affect your life. It can affect how you uh, live. And when people live, leave, things change. It's inevitable that your life will change. And the closer the relationship, the more intimacy we have with that person, the more it will affect you. And it will affect you. And if we're going to build healthy communities, if we're going to be a positive part of the community that we are a part of, if we as a community are going to have a positive impact in the wider community here in Connecticut or in Westchester County where you might be, we need to deal with this wisely. We need to be wise about uh, how we deal when people leave because it's easy for us to say, well, JD, tough luck. You know, they left, it's their problem. They left, it's their issue. Not my problem, and, and, and just try, try to move like that. But many times what that does, it just makes us cynical. It just makes us, uh, puts us in a position where we're not willing to deal with the pain, to confront the situation. And what that does also, it, it makes us be calloused and apathetic more and more. Scripture says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what's evil, Hold fast to what is good. So that means that we cannot let people and circumstances change our values. We got to pay attention to what we're holding fast. We got to pay attention to what we are clinging to. How do you live in such a way? How do you live in such a way where love can be genuine always, even when people leave? How do you live in such a way? Where if people leave, it will affect you, but you're still healthy. You're still whole. People leave in three different ways. And I want to I talk about these three different ways today. The first way I'm going to spend more time, the most of my time with, and then I'm going to end with two other ways where people leave that we're highlighting today. But the, the, the first way that people leave that we got we to gotta learn how to deal with is this. People sometimes leave because of a disagreement or a conflict. There was a fight. There was a problem. There was a misunderstanding. And the relationship ended. Now, this is a broad spectrum, right? It could be that you work at a company or a division, or maybe you're head of a department, and you have a list of clients, maybe if you're in sale, and you might have a pool of a book of 25 clients, and then one decides to leave, 
It's a professional relationship. You don't like it, but something happened. They don't want to work with you anymore. You don't want to work with them anymore. That relationship ends. That person is gone. That kind of relationship is probably not going to affect your personal life that much. You don't want it. It's not good, but you're going to go home. You're going to have dinner with your family. You're going to have dinner with your friends. Life is going to move on. That's not the relationship that I want to focus on. I want to focus on the side of the spectrum where it might be your best friend. It might be a close family member. It might be your brother, your sister, your cousin. It might be even your spouse. Someone that you vowed to spend the rest of your life with and then something happened and the relationship breaks and they leave. When it's that personal, it connects you. It hurts you to your core. It affects you to your core. Now, the problem with conflict is that it's a clash of convictions. There's an issue, something happened, and you both stand at opposite sides. And the problem when that happens is that both people think they're right. They have their reasons to think they're right. And the disagreement can get so intense that the relationship breaks apart and you cannot see the positive side of it anymore. Now, there are extreme cases where relationships need to end. We have to know that. If there's physical abuse, if there's verbal abuse, it needs to end. If the relationship is so toxic that every time you get together, trouble happens, it needs to end. If the relationship always leads you to trouble, it continues to lead you to destruction every single time. Red flag, it needs to end. Scripture says it clear. We can draw that from the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? You have chosen to live in the light, by the light. You have chosen to live a certain way. People who do not want to live that way, you know, you have no... That's what Scripture is saying. You have no business... In being yoked, meaning being linked with people who have chosen to live a negative life. Psalm 1, 1, 2, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man and woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here is... A focus for us. So some relationships need to end. But that is not true for every disagreement. That's not true for every circumstance in which there is conflict. So what's your part? If, if people left and, and there was a disagreement or a conflict, what is your part? When there's a conf- com- comfort, um, when there's a conflict with, with a loved one, when there's a falling out with a person that you wish you were still connected, What's your part? What do you do? There's three questions that you need to ask yourself. The first thing that you need to ask yourself is this. What could I I have done better? What could I have done better? Romans 12, 17 through 18 say this. Repay no no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable at the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So you got to ask yourself, did I do what was necessary for peace? Did I repay evil for evil? 
Have I given thought to what is honorable? Have I given thought to what is good in the sight of all? Second question that you ask is this. Do I need to repent? Is that something that I, I've done that I need to repent from? Uh, Psalm 139.23 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The psalmist had this heart of, saying, of coming to God and saying, God, there are things about me that I'm not fully aware of. If there's any hurt, if there's any trouble in my heart, search me. And sometimes when there's a, there's a relationship that breaks apart, we got to ask ourselves, do I need to repent? Every time there's a conf conflict, you will be tempted to blame. You will be tempted to analyze the situation and find fault on somebody else. That's natural. That's, that's how we are. That's part of our humanity. In fact, there's a little thing, right? We, we always point the finger. And when I was a teenager, uh, this is uh, in Sunday school. You know, the, the, the teacher thought he was clever. He was like, you know, when you, when, you, when you point your finger, there's one going out and there's three coming in. And then one is going to God. So don't point the finger. And I was like, so the solution is just to do this. You just point all your fingers and you say, the problem is you. And we do that, right? The problem is you. <laughs> so <laughs> we have a tendency to do that, right? You place the blame. You say, hey, what's going on? The right approach is to take responsibility for your part. That is the right approach first. See, regret is easy. Repentance is hard. Because regret says, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Man, I wish I hadn't trusted him. I wish I hadn't trusted her. Why, Why did I trust him? Why did I trust her? I shouldn't have spent the money on that thing. But repentance says, whatever part of me that has enabled and contributed to this situation... I need to change. I'm going to change. Now, I'm not saying that you are responsible for the betrayal or the conflict. I'm not saying that responsibility is yours. I am not saying that you are relieving the other person from their responsibility. I'm not saying that they are relieved from their part in the matter. What I am saying is this. What were the signs that you might have overlooked? What were the conversations that you had with people that maybe you ignored their, their counsel? When were you maybe prideful? What were the questions that you didn't ask before it was too late? And here's a good one. What were the investments that you didn't make because things are good? And you thought, things are good. I don't have to go the extra mile. That could have avoided that horrible situation. See, a relationship doesn't, doesn't just end. It doesn't just happen at one time. In a fair, this doesn't happen. There are signs. There are signs that we miss. There are signs that we didn't see. There are things, cues that we didn't follow through with. And there's a learning process in that, in that journey. See, the other person may have sinned. But there were signs that we might have missed on our end as well. So while regret is easy, you, we can all regret. 
it's, it's important to also repent, repent. Because you can regret what other people did to you, but you can only repent for your part. So repentance is part of taking responsibility. Another, another question that you need to ask, the, the last one in this, this um, conflict part is this. Am I holding a grudge? So the relationship split, people left. Am I holding a grudge? In other words, is there unforgiveness in my heart? Because unforgiveness is a problem. In fact, unforgiveness can hinder our prayers. Did you know that? Did you know that unforgiveness can hinder our prayers? Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. He doesn't stop there. He continues. He said, And whatever you stand praying, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. These passages used to bother me a lot. Because John says that, John says that we, we love because He loved us first. And Jesus says several times, that we must forgive so that God can forgive us. How is that? How are we supposed to forgive first? I used to bug me. But this is, this is what I've come to understand. Forgiveness is not an emotion. And this might change your paradigm. It might change how you think about life. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a judgment. Forgiveness is a judgment. Because we think that forgiveness is this. I no longer feel offended at that person. Or I should no longer feel offended at that person. That is forgiveness. We think that forgiveness is, I'm no longer mad. That to forgive means I'm no longer mad. Listen, forgiveness is not how you feel toward a person. Forgiveness is how you judge someone. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a judgment. This is forgiveness. He is guilty. She is guilty. But just like a judge forgives the sentence, I do not hold their guilt against them. This is powerful. This is profound. When you withhold forgiveness, you're passing a certain judgment. See, and Christ invites us to live a kind of life where we do not sentence people for their sins in our hearts, but we give it over to God. We, we, instead of condemning, we release. It's, it's a way of life. You can't, withhold, you, you can't hold somebody ransom for what they've done and, and, and think that you're not held ransom for what you've done. Does that make sense? There's, there's a dissonance there. If you think that I'm forgiven and free for all my sins and everything I've done, not you. I'm going to hold you accountable, and I'm going to hold you to your sins. That's why Jesus is saying, listen, you got to live on the forgiveness side. If you're, going to, if you're going to receive God's forgiveness, which He has already issued, you got to live from the mindset that God has not only forgiven you, He has forgiven the person that offended you. And if God has forgiven them, we ought to forgive them too and release that person. Forgiveness is a judgment. There are two more ways, uh, two more reasons why people leave that we have to deal with. 
The second reason people leave is this. Their paths diverge. People moved on because simply, you know, something happened in their lives and, and they moved on. But it still affects us. This one can, can, can affect you so much as well. A friend leaves, a son moves off to college, a daughter gets married and moves away. We all go through things like, like that. We will go through things like that. We, we see Ezzy here today. It's her second time in church. Everybody say, hi, Ezzy. And Oswin doesn't want to hear this. Oswin is our band director. He's an amazing man. But Ezzy's going to grow up. She's going to find a suitable man. And uh, the Lord is going to bring, the Lord is going to bless them. And she's going to move on to her house. And, 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 and Oswin is going to have to deal with it. And some of you, you know, you're closer to that experience. We all have situations when people leave. Alini and I have a lot of experience in this because not only have we had people leave uh, our context in our life, but we have left too. And so how do you keep your community healthy when paths diverge? Two things you can keep in your mind. I uh, keep, keep in mind when that happens. First is this. The relationship will not be the same. It's important for us to know that. We can have the illusion when people leave, when a friend leaves, that, oh, we're going to keep everything the same. We're going to FaceTime. We're going to call. We're going to text every day. Nothing will change. You know you're lying. <laughs> you know you're lying. Things will change. And, and that can affect you because you can feel like, man, our friendship is not the same. You, you, can, you can be disappointed if you don't adjust your expectations. See, Jesus did that, surprisingly. Uh, Jesus knew that he was leaving, and he prepared his friends to, for, that, for that transition. John 16, uh, chapters 5 through 7, or verses 5 through 7 say this. Now I'm going to him who sent me. And none, of, and, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I'm telling you that I'm leaving. You don't dare to ask me where I'm going. And I know you're sad about it. That's what he's saying. He's telling his friends, you're, you're sad about this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come uh, to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying, our relationship is about to change. My ministry here is done on earth. I'm going to uh, go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect on the third day, and then I'm leaving. But when I leave, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Spirit of God. I'm, I'm going to be with you, not in person, not in flesh and bones. I'm going to be with you in spirit. He's preparing them. And I think we need to take a cue from Jesus's, uh, Jesus's example here. Even though that's not our reality, we don't change dimensions, right? But what Jesus did, he prepared. He set expectations. He told his friends, listen, you're not going to see me anymore. And you got to get ready for it. So not only do we need to know that things will change, but we need to plan for change. That's the second thing when people leave. you got to plan for change. They will move on. You will move on, but the relationship doesn't need to end. When you put expectations for the relationship to stay the same, you will be disappointed. And there's a risk that the relationship will end because you're demanding that the relationship stays the same. But guess what? It can't stay the same. So plan for change. 
Make room in your heart. Understand and, and, and uh, adapt, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a man that a few years ago, a young man that walked through our doors, and he was recently married, and he and his wife had just moved to the area. They started coming to church, and we connected. His, his name is Max. Uh, we love Max. And Max uh, is a hardworking man, and when he joined our church, he joined the team right away, and he began uh, to be involved in connect groups. At one point, they were leading two connect groups. He was our head of operations. He, won, he was one of my main leaders here at the church, and his wife also uh, was one of our leaders, and they were dependable leaders. Now, what's interesting is that uh, Max was new to his walk with the Lord, and it was in sharing life with others here at the church that it was in connecting and building friendships that he began to grow in his relationship with God when he was serving here. And his relationship with God and his view of the church grew. I remember one day, it was a Tuesday, uh, Max called me and said, J.D., I really feel in my heart that I need to get baptized. I was like, that's amazing, man. Let's do it. And he said, can we do it today? I was like, heck yeah, we can do it today. Let's go. So we, we drove over to the cove uh, here in Stanford. And in the frigid waters of the cove, we just went in there, and we had a beautiful, godly moment. It was so awesome, and I got to baptize Max that day. He was growing in his relationship with God. But Max works for a big corporation. And a few years ago, his corporation acquired another corporation uh, that was based out of Colorado. So they transferred Max to Colorado. He is a young guy, but he's uh, very... Um, very competent in his, in his field, so uh, he went to lead a division there in Colorado. And when he, le- when he left, uh, this, is, this is what happened. It's what I'm telling you. Uh, the rela- we knew the relationship would change. We knew it wasn't going to be the same. But Max decided to stay connected, and we decided to stay connected. Now, we don't talk as often as we used to. He doesn't come over anymore. We don't have church meetings or, or hangouts as friends. But Max knows what's going on at Connect Community. He knows that we moved twice here in the summer. He knows that my wife is pregnant. He knows that what's going on. Not only that, every single Sunday, Max gives financially to this church. He still supports this church. He still believes in what God is building here because he still feels connected to this community. Now, some time ago, Max went through a difficult situation. His, he and his wife's uh, marriage ended, as sometimes they do. It was difficult. We love them both so much. But sometimes those things happen, and it happened to them. And I was honored to walk through that season with Max. Now, I, was, I wasn't as present as I wish I could be. I wasn't as closely as we once were. It wasn't as tightly as I would have done if he was here. But still, we were connected. Still, we were able to walk through that together. My point is this. Continue to honor the friendships, even when people move away, even when people leave. Sometimes paths just diverge. Don't take it personally. Continue to honor what God has established because you don't know. God can continue to use you to bless that person, and that person can still be a blessing to you. And here's the third uh, and final Uh, experience that we're going to go through. From time to time, you will face the ultimate separation. And that's when people leave this life. 
And we've all had experiences that, especially in this last two years, we have seen people being taken away from our families way too soon at times. And even outside of the pandemic, we go through loss, loss of life when people leave us. And when they do, this sense of loss can be so strong. And it'll be as strong as your love for them. Grief is hard. It never really ends. It never really passes. It comes in waves. And if you've lost a loved one, you've always go, you, you will always miss them. But you can find strength and purpose in that relationship still. You can still honor that relationship. And you can still find purpose in it. We need to remember this as followers of Christ if you follow Jesus today. That we do not mourn like those who have no hope. That's what the scripture says. See, Jesus experienced grief. But in that moment that he experienced grief when his friend died, he shared a powerful promise. If you remember the passage, if you've read it, um, Jesus' friend Lazarus was very sick. And his sisters called for Jesus and said, Jesus, your friend is sick and he's about to die. Now, for some reason, Jesus didn't come right away. He couldn't. For some reason, Jesus didn't answer to the call, and they knew that Jesus was a miracle worker, that he could make his friend well. But when Jesus arrived at the scene, his friend had already passed. And Scripture says that Jesus wept because he lost his friend. He experienced grief in that moment. But this conversation took place, which is a conversation that should encourage you in your moment of loss as well. John chapter 11, verses 21 through 26, the words of Jesus. Mary, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have not, would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, Jesus, that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Jesus had already taught them about eternity and Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this and that's a question for us see death is a problem and it's a problem that people of old have tried to solve and they couldn't. In fact, if you go through the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it was written by King Solomon. And the entire book is King Solomon trying to make sense of death. He's trying to make sense of the fact that we all work, we all toil, we all give life our best, but in the end we all die. And he keeps asking, like, what's the point? What's the point of life if we're going to do what we're doing and in the end... It's all just going to end. And he asked the question through the whole book. He can't find the answer. He says it's all vanity. Everything is vanity. There's no point to life. It can be a little bit uh, disconcerting if you read the book of Ecclesiastes without the picture of Jesus answering that question. 
But it's, it's an important question because when you ask existential questions, when you ask ultimate questions like that, it's almost as though your soul already knows and you're verbalizing what you already know on the inside. Like, what is the point of life if there's no eternal life? Like, what is the point? If we're just ma matter that kind of got here from a collection of atoms and everything is predetermined and when it's, we're gone, we're gone, why fight for good? Why do good things? Why not just give ourselves to our cravings and, and consider everything that's happening so like, like it's fate? Why free will? And that's the question that Solomon was asking so often. What is the point if all, it all ends when we die? And th I think that when we lose people, this is a deep part of our pain. Like when we lose people, that's, that's the part of us that goes like, man, what's the point of, of all of this? We've had a dear friend pass away, and I still have questions. I still have a conflict on the inside about that because... She was so young. She was living life. She was giving God her best. And 27 years old, and she was just taken in a car accident like that. You know, and, and so many things planned, so much life, so, so much good. And we can ask that, like, how, how, why? And here's, here's the reality. We were not built to die. None of us are okay with death. And that's why the message of Jesus and the life of Jesus is so important because he not only answers, he is the answer to the ultimate questions. We do not mourn like those who have no hope. See, separation is hard. And Jesus helps us walk through that moment of loss. But we have to understand that through Jesus, we have eternal life our physical bodies might one day cease to function but the same power that rose him from the dead lives in us the same spirit that raised jesus christ from the dead lives in you and so there's encouragement in that because death is not the end death is not the end and you got to understand this it may spook you because not a lot of people talk about eternal life these days we want to know what is good to live here, how to, build a, how to build a life here, and how can God help me achieve my dreams here. But you have to understand that this, this worldview that we live in, the, the, the Savior that we claim is our Savior, the life that we claim is our faith, is built on resurrection. This is not an add-on. This is not a bonus benefit of believing in Jesus. This is the whole thing. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have what? Eternal life. It's the point of the whole thing. Everlasting life. Eternal life. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those who also have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
He's saying it's all pointless if we don't embrace the resurrection and eternal life. It's all pointless if resurrection didn't happen. But this is where we find hope. When that ultimate separation happens, we need to understand that for those who are in Christ, it is not ultimate. It is not ultimate. People will pass away. And when people pass away, we remember that death is an enemy. It's the enemy of our souls. It's the ultimate enemy of our souls. But we don't have to fear because Christ has conquered death. Christ has conquered the grave. And we can live purposefully. We can honor our friendships. We can honor those who have gone before us. We can honor those who have passed on, knowing that the life that is in Christ will live forevermore. Knowing that when we cross that veil ourselves, we will be together for all eternity. And that's the hope that we find in Christ. So remember, people will leave. It's part of life. People will leave because of strife. People will leave because of conflict. People will leave because different paths. That's part of life. And people will leave because at one point we will all leave this earth. But while we're here together, let's strive to live honorable lives. Let's forgive. Let's live in forgiveness. Let's love one another. Let's live a life full of repentance. And let's cherish the time that we have together. And if we do, we will be better prepared to build stronger communities and to be the light of God in the world that he has called us to be. And you are the light of God in the world. Do you receive it this morning? Amen.